You've stopped in at the guidepost. Brought to you by the American Saltwater Guides Association. Stock up on gear, grab a coffee at the counter, and get ready to hear incredible fish stories from the best captains on the East Coast and thought-provoking conversations with stakeholders and policymakers working to protect these fisheries. This podcast is presented by Costa Sunglasses. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Guidepost. Everyone can take a sigh of relief. I am not going to be talking very much on this episode. I just wanted to come in and introduce our uh, our co-host and guest. Really exciting stuff. Um, y'all are going to learn a lot about Louisiana, probably hear some really funny stories. Um, you know, it's called Sportsman's Paradise for a reason. Uh, it's just an absolutely amazing place. And, you know, frankly, um, it deserves to be saved. And I think uh, I think that these that's what these two gentlemen are going to talk about. So without, you know, any further delay, we got Blaine Chocolate on here. And our guest for today is Captain Ty Hibbs. And I will let you guys take it away. Thanks, Tony. Uh, Ty, I appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your day to uh, talk to me a little bit. Um, we met several years ago when I... You know, I've been to Louisiana a lot of times. Totally love that place. I love the diversity, just not just saltwater, but the freshwater aspect of it. And I know you're super diverse in how you like to fish, not just fly, but conventional fishing. Um, I think you, I think you even have that kind of quote, "Whatever bites" kind of motto, right? So, uh, I love that, by the way. And most people that know who I am know that about me. And I think this is a perfect conversation for you and I to start start our whole maybe hour two hour little podcast here um it's good seeing you a couple of weeks ago down at the uh the sheepy tournament uh but uh i really also want to thank you for um being such a great guide for my guests that's uh spent time with you and your boat shane maybush who i know you spent some time with he's raised about his time with you guys and um you know we had some tough conditions back then, but you all, you made it happen and took him and showed him your backyard, which super jealous that I don't get to go, go and do that on a daily basis. Uh, the marsh down there is such a special place. Um, and that's why we're kind of having this conversation tonight. There's a lot to cover, but, uh, I'd love for you to tell people that that may not know who you are, your background, what you, you know, I, 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 I know you kind of have a, uh, biology background kind of a diverse deal which i think is super important as an angler and that's probably why you're so diverse in the way you do approach your fish and your fisheries yeah i mean for sure um so i'm born and raised down here in south southeast louisiana i grew up um if most most people that are flying in here know the airport that they fly into louis armstrong i grew up i grew up between there and like Pontchartrain. so pretty much it was when i was a kid um it was mostly, you know, bass fish around parks around here. I mean, you, those drainage canals around here, we used to catch bass in and perch. And and uh, that's kind of, you know, where I started fly fishing, actually, is catching a little bluegill in there. And there's a lot of carp in there. And we actually used to have, before Katrina, when it was all connected, there used to be redfish and all, I mean, literally, like, in front of people's houses. So it's pretty pretty wild place then now there's pumping stations and all and still some really cool carp in there but as you said earlier like the whole whatever bites thing came from me and a buddy of mine sean desitel who we kind of grew up fishing together and that was kind of the thing we never i mean 
people know me as like the guy for redfish down here you know everybody you know that's just what i that's what i do most of the year i'm guiding i've done tournaments back in the day as much as i don't like them you know anymore but yeah as far as the whole whatever bites thing man i do a lot of everything i just enjoy living down here i always tell people there's a lot of places i i like i enjoy going and a lot of types of fishing i enjoy doing but i'll never not live here i mean i love bass fishing this time of year whether it's you know with a fly rod or bait caster or whatever and um sockele fishing you know we uh, we call them sockele it's a french word for crappie black crappie and stuff like that i love doing a lot of that this time of year um pretty much a little bit of every the jacks in the summertime um i mean everything how, under how about, the how about how about bowfin and uh alligator gar that's uh, those are two Man, fish so, uh, my heart. <laughs> I, I used i used to love catching the gar in the canals but i mean i've had some clients really take to the gar and it's i think it's super cool especially in the summertime in the lake we'll while we're jack fishing jack fishing super tidal so we'll have kind of a lull some days like in the middle of the day sometime and uh we'll just go and it's always so pretty around the lake you know we'll just go drive around and see some cool things and it's you know we might go look for redfish or sheep's head in the in the marsh slot fish and but uh one thing that's really cool is you'll see like some of the biggest gar you'll ever see in your life around this lake and lake born and all um i'm talking like you know you'll see a six seven footer it's pretty pretty regular and and uh they're pretty hard to hook and land i mean there's not a lot of not a lot of meat in there to hook but you hook into like a you throw a fly and get them to eat and they're pretty they're they're not really usually gonna chase stuff down you gotta like hit them in the face and but uh you throw like a big jack fly or something at them and they eat it you stick them hard enough they're even if then i'd say 90 percent of them get off but they'll come out of the water you know tail walking like a copia i'm like people that don't want to throw at that i'm like you're out of your mind dude i mean if i'm if i'm throwing especially with a fly rod and sight fishing i'm throwing at everything if i'm in the bahamas I'm throwing at every trigger fish, box fish, little barracuda, you know, and then the bone fish. If I'm in, you know, Florida, I'm going to catch blue fish and uh, Spanish mackerel, bonita, whatever it may be. I just I enjoy just the whole experience of fishing, not just, you know, I hate when I get people sometimes that are like, and I mean, that's how some people are. They're like, oh, I just, you know, only I'm not throwing at it unless it's a 25 pound bull red. I'm like, that's cool. Oh, man and there's days we get to do that which is we're so fortunate here we we have days where that's uh, you know we'll get to do that 20 times in a day but my favorite people and most of my clients i have nowadays like if i'm like yeah i don't know we might only get two or three shots at a big one you want to go and watch you know 24 inches with their backs out of the water and catch 10 of those and you know they're they're if they say of course I'm like yeah why would you refuse that or you want to go throw poppers in dirty water at some in the summer have some smaller ones or or that's so, so many things to do rather than you know just grind for something that uh, may not be the best thing going and that's what kind of makes the day in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. You know the whole the whole thing about my career and what I've done is tried to be as diverse as possible and learn as much as I can about each fish that I target because it inevitably makes you a better all around angler. And I think, you know, a good close friend of mine, Larry Dahlberg always says, you know, the biggest, <laughs> the biggest problem with fly anglers in general is they are looking through keyholes instead of opening up the door <laughs> yeah. and looking through 
you know, stepping through that door and looking at the world. And uh, I couldn't oh, agree with you more. There's no doubt. I mean, it, it, no it just allows you. It. To, yeah, it allows you to understand the fish, all fish, right? I mean, it, it tells you yeah. what to put on that day based on the tide, the ambient light, water clarity, yeah, and all that I, kind I think, of stuff. Uh, I think there's a lot of things to it, too. Like, you know, I, I know some really great fishermen for you know let's just say like one fish and you the big thing i use the example of redfish down here that's our big thing so uh we got some guys that fish those tournaments and they've been doing it for a while those redfish tournaments which is mostly just involves running 70 miles an hour in a boat you know scouting for 10 days burning up the marsh and um just sight fishing looking for redfish you know which it, that's kind of what the tournament scene has turned into and which i'm really not a fan of it it's just so much pressure on the fish i try to avoid it now but um those there's some guys who just are really great at that and they are phenomenal and more power to them but like if you told them to skip a you know a, a brush hog or a or a you know crawfish up under a dock and catch a bass they'd look like they've never touched a, a fishing rod before or you told them you know to throw a fly at a bonefish they wouldn't even know where to begin whereas like a lot of the guys that i really enjoy fishing with if you know if we wake up in the morning and it's like cloudy and blowing i'm like hey you want to go throw top waters for speckled trout or like hey, let's go throw frogs in the marsh for bass you know in the morning or you know there's just so many cool things to do and i mean it's there's so many cool fish in the world if you're gonna stub your nose up at one just because it's not the way you do it and i don't want to say that makes you a bad angler but it definitely doesn't help round you out as an angler right but it you know all the, being knowing all that stuff also helps you out with tides and and all that you know which you know i think for a lot of anglers out there that don't get to fish on a daily basis just knowing where to be when you know with incoming or outgoing oh, yeah. tides all that kind of stuff and you're talking about the lake uh is there a specific lake you're talking about? Is it Lake Pontchartrain or is it? Um... Yeah, so uh, the Lake Lake Pontchartrain, I mean, it's, it's you see it when you fly over here. It's the biggest thing around. It's probably one of the biggest lakes in the country, honestly. Um, it's a natural lake. It actually is, the, it started, you know, the Mississippi River at one time, hundreds, maybe a few thousand years uh, ago, went through there and created, you know, the sediment deposit. And uh, as it turned and created, it basically was a big oxbow and turned into Lake Pontchartrain, what it is now. And it's pretty cool. The lake is uh, 24 miles tall and I think 75 miles wide. So it's a pretty massive body of water. But what's really interesting about it is the average depth of Lake Pontchartrain is like 11, 12 feet. It's a pretty shallow thing in general. And uh, it's, it's this pretty cool fishery that nobody really knows about down here. Um, it's very, it's not, you know, it's not Venice, it's not Delacroix, it's not Homa. Um, it, it'll have days where it'll, it'll just beat your butt, but, uh, it's really cool. I enjoy it a lot in the summertime and I'll live right there and the water gets clean. We get to see some cool stuff. I'll fish the jacks and, and, uh, we'll get some, we'll get redfish in it, sheephead and all, but it's just different. You know, I like doing things that are different, especially, you know, Everybody thinks about Venice, the, you know, bull reds in the late summer, which uh, we've all seen it. It can be the greatest thing you've ever seen in your life. And it could also be the biggest kick to the freaking butt you've ever had in your <laughs> life, too. 
I mean, if you go I've, down I've there, I've experienced and it, both, man. <laughs> so absolutely, you could be. I mean, you could be stroking them for four or five days straight with a low river. It's falling. The black water's coming out of the out of the you know cane, and they're schooled up eating pogies in the shallow stuff. And then you know, on day three, the river jumps up six inches, and the, you get a, a weird rise in tide, and it's like, what the hell happened? And that's kind of the days we'll get three, four days like that in a row, sometimes a week, sometimes, and you can still catch a couple, but I look at my clients and most of my guys now are a lot of my regular guys. So they know the deal too. And I'll tell them like, look, I think it's kind of going to be tough. We might get a couple shots at a big one, but I think we could also get a shot or two at a big red while throwing at some jacks and then go sight fish some sheephead after up here by my house. If you want to do that and, and even wade fish something, or, or you know do something cool something different and they're usually all about that and if you're not about just doing trying something different every now and then you won't learn much but it it really makes you learn like you were saying fish in different areas in different ways it really makes you learn you know it'll, it might be something that crosses over to another fish or another fishery i've done a lot of you know, fishing on the panhandle over there. And I've done my fair share of tarpon fishing. And there's things over there that I've used over here for not just like tarpon, but for redfish and all too, and different things with tide and water clarity and just like in the Bahamas too. And that was the first time I went there. I remember the first day I pretty much hit every redfish. I mean, I say redfish. I was, I thought I was fishing them like they were redfish. I hit them all between the eyes and I was like, what the hell, man? These fish, they don't want to eat anything. And my buddy Sam looked at me. He's like, dude, this is not redfish. This water is crystal clear. You got to like, you got to lead them. And I'm like, lead them, you know, redfish. I'm telling people like they throw 12 inches in front of a redfish. I'll tell them, pick it up and put it four inches in front of them, you know, just because they're yeah. a lazy fish. That, I mean, they got a decent eyesight, but it's not as good as a bonefish. And it took me to the second day. I remember this bonefish, I made a good cast, nothing crazy, like a 40, 50 footer and put it like 10 feet out in front of him. And then he got about eight feet away and I just bumped it. He ran on over there and I was like, damn, like they could see pretty far. And that, that was the end of it there. Those, those fish are so cool. And I think in some ways, you know, they're almost more predictable than redfish in the fact of how they move and how they react on tides. And they're a very honest fish, which is super cool. Redfish, sometimes you can do everything right. They just, they see a crab, you know, eight inches to the left of you, and they're like, eh, I'll just go eat this and run away real quick. <laughs> At least they're a little more honest than a sheep's head. <laughs> oh, man, a sheep's head. It's so funny because uh, I'm glad y'all got to see. Uh, There's the nothing sheep. funny about a sheep's head, Ty. Those oh, things are <laughs> those, those are the most dishonest fish on God's green earth, man. Blaine and, I, Blaine and I were making up curse words for those things by the second day. <laughs> yeah, I tell people all the time, you know, we call them the Cajun permit for a reason. Um, I think in some ways I've only thrown it like one or two permit ever. So I can't really say much. I always tell people honestly care less if I ever go permit fishing because they sound like they suck so much, but um, <laughs> the sheephead are, they're super cool and super intriguing to me just because it's something different, you know, than redfish. It's really technical, but just like Tony was talking about, I don't, man, you can make an 80 footer, you know, perfectly lead him. You're on his line. He's eating on the grass. You got the perfect little crab and he'll, he'll follow it forecast in a row and then run away. Cause he's a sheephead, you know, that's just how they are. And then sometimes you throw at it 
And, and then everyone on the boat yells at you. Everyone on the boat <laughs> yells at you because your leader's in your fly rod and you trout set. <laughs> I just thought, of that, thought, I'd, thought I'd throw that little i'm like what the hell am i supposed to do the thing's three feet away from me like i can i can i can see its teeth you know that may or may not happen i don't know i mean i just (laughs) yeah i mean that's the hardest thing what sheep's head always tell people is you don't get to see them eat it like you do at redfish so it's hard to like do i strip set them now or do i keep stripping you know and there's they're just such, such a tough fish and and it's not only it's so funny about the sheep head uh, about the sheepy our fly fishing tournament that y'all were just at. Um, I think the funniest thing about it, it kind of came about, you know, Miles and them started it as like this is our kind of slow time of year, and being that it's our slow time of the year, the reason is because the weather usually sucks. So just in every sheepy, you know, tournament fashion, every year we get one day, at least minimum one day of just terrible wind or something like that, which makes it even harder. And, you know, that's probably the worst fish you could ever have a tournament for. Honestly, they're just, (laughs) they just suck. (laughs) Yeah. But they, they're cool. I call them convict fish. I mean, they're dishonest as they could possibly be. You know what I mean? They they not only look like a convict, but act like one, right? So they're uh, no, no doubt about it. They're kind of perfect though when you're trying to figure out flies. You know, for me, it's like always trying to understand conventional side of things. You know, I mean, and Larry's instilled this in me: is like you really don't know what's really happening unless you throw live bait at something conventional. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, you really, it's like, if you're just throwing fly, you're still looking through that keyhole, you know what I mean? And that's what I love about you. You're, you're doing all of it and, you know, and, uh, I think it's important for any angler. I don't care what, what, what genre of fishing that they like, if it's conventional, if it's fly, if it's, you know, bait, I think it's very important for you to kind of take a step back and say, well, they may not have been biting today because that's, you were throwing that one type of lure or that one type bait or whatever and it could be mm-hmm. a certain trigger that that day that that fish needed to make that fish bite right and i think sheep oh, yeah. sheep that i think permit or that way i think every fish is that way and for me focusing on muskies i think it, i find it fascinating i mean sheep's head are, are kind of a pain in the ass but i think they're it's also one of those things that makes me wonder is like is it the fish or is it the what we're throwing at them you know what yeah. I mean? So for me, I think it's I a lot kind of the time too. Yeah, I Go mean ahead. with sheep's head too. It's a lot of the time um, what they're doing at the time when you throw at them. You know, I, mean, I don't know if you got to see many of them like you know <laughs> nose down in the grass, and you'll even hear them too when they're really happy. They'll come up and like you'll hear them popping the top of the water, chasing the crabs. They chase those little fiddler crabs and all up the all like the grass stalks, and. um Usually when you find one doing that, you're going to get a need out of them. But there's a lot of times that they're just swimming around and you throw at them and they'll follow it. They follow it a lot. You'll get their attention. They will follow it, but they just won't eat it. And, you know, throwing at enough of them, you eventually realize like, all right, so maybe, you know, I got to throw. First off, you got to throw what they're eating. They're eating little bitty crabs, little bitty shrimp. They're not eating, you know, six inch pogies. Um, so, you know, you got to match the hatch as far as that goes. And then you got to throw at the right fish and we get spoiled with redfish being that we could kind of get away with throwing crazy stuff just because they'll eat some crazy stuff. Now, sheep's head, when they're eating barnacles, little crabs and little shrimp, 
you're not throwing, you know, one of your giant game changers and catching them on it. Although right. I wouldn't be surprised, but I, that's not yeah. what I'm throwing at them. You know, I like to throw a little like Kung Fu crabs and I'll even throw some little mantis shrimp and all sometimes, but it's more just about finding the one that's eating at the time, which you it may, it may be one out of 10 that day. It may be one out of 200, maybe four out of four. You just kind of never know what sheep said. Yeah, I hear you. Well, I'll tell you what, have you ever seen him eat those snails and stuff? You, uh, I've seen Oh them. yeah. Like the little snails that, that are on the marsh grass, they'll eat that too. And they'll, you know, any kind of little shellfish or anything like that. Like that's, that's what they're eating. Something small, you know, they're, right. they're, um, and they'll eat the snails like in the springtime at the pretty much as we get to like January, we'll start getting some of that snot grass to pop up over like the coontail grass that shows up. We get a lot of those snails and, and I duck hunt a lot. And that's, that's kind of what the ducks shift to that time of year too. They eat the hell out of those snails growing on those big grass mats and Delacroix and Venice and all. And, uh, in this come the springtime, um, you'll see those snails are, their snails are still around because that snot grass is just getting thicker and thicker. And the sheephead, they'll kind of move away from the oyster flats and all that they fish and they'll go further inside the marsh where it's a little bit more fresh. And, uh, they'll be all over that snot grass eating all those little snails. And that's really fun too, but it's very hard just because they usually eat something, you know, they eat your fly like going down on it, kind of like a permit, I guess. And uh, they'll bury it in that grass and just lose it. And you'll just have a, you'll just be picking snot grass off of your fly all day. So you really need to find one that's eaten. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you mentioned something when we were when we were talking down at the sheepy about, you know, the clarity of the water that you're fishing a lot of times up in the lake and and being able to see these these jacks, which is a fish very near and dear to my heart. That that to me, that's that's one of the most underappreciated fish down there. Before I get into oh, some of this technical stuff, I wanna talk a little bit about the much maligned jacks. You know, I think uh it, it's you know, uh People fly, me and a bunch of buddies, and I, I definitely want to go to Fist of Seychelles someday in my life. But, you know, it's like, you know, you fly over a lot of water to go catch a jack over in the Seychelles. Oh, yeah. when, we have, when we have the a beautiful the Jack Revelle here in the United States. And, you know, I've experienced that in the marsh of Louisiana and catching those things in shallow water. Is, that's hard to beat, man. It really is. And they're oh, beautiful. Yeah. It's uh, one of my I want favorite to hear more things. About that fresh Tell us a little bit about that, that what you got there and there, because it's clear water, like you were saying, and sometimes mm -hmm. you, it's, you have singles that you're technically casting to. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I mean it's, that, that to me it's, is super cool. It's no doubt, like people always ask me, you know, like, oh, your favorite things to do is, you know, throw at redfish and all. I'm like, yeah, I love redfish. And, you know, I, I pretty much have devoted my life to redfish and guiding for them and now protecting them. But like jacks are probably one of my favorite fish to catch. I'd say jacks are up there, you know, redfish are up there, bonefish, but jacks, there's really nothing that acts like a jack. You know, they're just big pissed off creatures. I always tell people, I'm like, they were put on this earth to just make sure the mullet population stays in check, you know? <laughs> they just destroy everything in sight sometimes. And what, what a lot of people don't realize what I was telling you about, you know, and I tell people this all the time. And 
And uh, I'll get guys that are great casters, and we'll make a long cast on them, you know. And jacks, they're moving fast. When they're shallow, they're moving fast. They're coming at you, you know. So we see one 150 yards down a flat. I'm like, hey, start getting ready because, you know, he's going to get near us in a hurry. It's not like a redfish. We see a redfish 150 yards away tailing. We got, you know, 20 minutes to pull over there just about, it feels like. But a jack, like, he's a, he's a, outside of 100 yards. I'm like, hey, get your line straight. Like, we're going to lay a good long cast out there. And uh, we'll start casting at him when he's over 100 feet away from us. Because he's, people don't realize how they're moving four or five miles an hour down these flats sometimes. That's just how they swim. That's not them getting excited. That's just them cruising. Um, yeah. So they're coming fast at you, and you get a cast out there, and you got to start ripping it. I mean, as fast as you can to get them fired up on it and some a lot of times i mean it's i tell people it's not easy to catch them shallow they're pretty smart they're not a dumb fish you know they're smart fish they have big eyes uh, especially in some clear water they know what's going on people always they get a bad rap of being you know dumb per se just because usually when people encounter jacks it's like a big school of them in just a frenzy and that's not really saying it's a dumb fish it's just you know they're opportunistic they get in a frenzy and um, they'll get in a frenzy and, you know, people just throw anything in there and you'll catch them like that. Um, but being when they get shallow, it's usually singles, maybe a double or triple. You don't see a big, you know, it's pretty rare to see a big group of a hundred shallow. It happens, but it's pretty, pretty rare. Um, we're usually throwing at singles and, you know, you got to make a good shot, though. I always kind of treat it like tarpon fishing in a way, other than how we strip the fly. But we're making a long cast at them, you know. You got to strip it correctly. And sometimes they just snub you just because that's what they do. And and if you think about it from, you know, a biology standpoint, uh, you know, a lot of fish, a jack's a pretty curious fish. Like, uh, what I do a lot of, too, is I'll go and find them schooled up in the different bays and lakes around the marsh and around like Train. I'll find them schooled up on the bridges or something like that. And I'll tease them with tuna poppers. Um, and we'll get a bunch of them to come up like that sometimes and get some good shots. But a lot of times they're just coming up to be like, hey, what the hell is that up there? You know, they're not really like trying to eat that. They're like trying to see what's going on. But if you think about that from a science, from a scientific standpoint, curiosity in fish is really just a sign of intelligence you know i mean you think about a lot of fish that people think are kind of dumb like people think you know kobe are dumb you know they they'll come up to anything like i mean curiosity a fish being curious about something is is you know an intelligent fish that it can think about what's going on and not just you know reaction strike like most bass and all are um i've I've seen kobe get a phd in matter of seconds you know, oh yeah, um, and the same thing with jacks. I've had days where we've had twenty shots in ten inches of water, and we are just like, we throw every fly at them. And then I've had days where we see three fish and catch all three. You know, it's um, it's all about doing the right thing. Sometimes I've had it, and see what redfish. I don't really get this to where, oh, change the fly, and it's like you know a light switch. We we figured it out. Redfish, they're if you put it in the right spot, they're probably gonna eat it. Jacks, I've had days where like we go from an all white kind of pogey pattern and I put on like a red and black kind of, you know, mullet looking fly. And then all of a sudden it's like we figured out what they wanted. And that's that's super cool, you know, super cool to do stuff like that. And it's just so rewarding, man. A 25 pound fish in shallow water, you know, 
I mean, people, like you said, people fly across the world and spend ungodly amounts of money to go catch a fish. That's pretty damn similar, if not the same thing. And usually from, at least from what I've seen smaller and, you know, there's plenty of places to do that here. There's plenty of places to do it in Florida, on the panhandle, Texas, um, all over the place. You know, it's just, it's definitely not as pretty as the Seychelles. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's not white sand and crystal clear water as far as the eye can see. But it's a whole lot cheaper, a whole lot closer. And uh, you could definitely go have way better food at the end of the night. <laughs> Let's not get started on the food, man. I, I ate like <laughs> when I was down there. I don't I don't see how all you guys are not 300 plus pounds, man. <laughs> it's like, no, it's, yeah. it, it's definitely tough. You got to be... Uh, you got to be somewhat mindful of it for sure. It's tough for me this time of year with the crawfish, man. I could just make myself sick with crawfish. And I, it's definitely, uh, there's definitely a reason a lot of people have high blood pressure down here. Yeah. Well, Tony and I, we, we did, we put a hurting on the crawfish population, uh, definitely on the oysters too, man. That those oh, yeah. real oysters. I'm glad, oh my God. glad we had some fresh ones too. Like I get a lot of people and they're always like, man, I want some, you know, if they've never had oysters before, they're like, man, I want some oysters. And where should I get some char grilled ones? I'm like, don't say that. I'm like, if you never had an oyster, you need to eat some raw oysters first. I'm like, that yep. is char grilling them. You could have any old oyster and make it taste good. Raw oysters, you need it. They need to be from the right area. And you could taste the difference in oysters from different areas. You know, they taste different from Hopedale to Port Sulphur to Homa, you know, and it's, uh, I love oysters. So I'm always kind of real particular about it, but I always tell people you got to eat some raw ones. And, you know, it's, it's so good. I just, between oysters, you know, shrimp and crawfish and crabs, I don't really know anywhere else in the world that has better seafood. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I would much prefer to have raw oysters first, but you know, I couldn't get Tony to bite on that. You know, he's like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> like, whatever. I'll I'll take whatever. But uh, you know, I love I love how you you have this scientific background. Um, I know you've done a little bit of work with the LDWS, right? Um, yeah, for a couple a of years. I I did more stuff as a student worker with them. Um, you know, I, it kind of I got involved in co when I was in college with them and. Uh, working with the tagging program we had here and it was just so cool we had a lot of cool things going I had a tagging project going on lake pontchartrain for speckled trout with acoustic tags and doing a telemetry project and uh it was super cool to see how they moved throughout the lake pontchartrain basin and uh what's uh, and i talk about lake pontchartrain a lot just because i'm always on it and i live so close to it but it was super cool to see how it, it's kind of a different fishery it's its own fishery separated from a lot of the area around um, so it was cool that we did that project. We tagged some redfish too and watched how they traveled around. And it was some cool stuff to uh, see. And I really wish they would have kept doing stuff like that. You know, it's just, there's been such cool projects that they've done like that. And I know it all boils down to money at the end of the day, which is a shame that, you know, as many fishermen, fishermen as we have in the state and, uh, as many dollar bills that come in to fish Louisiana, you would think that money was never an issue to do something that only helps the fishery. But uh, that's, you know, a lot of what we talk about, that's what it, it comes down to the dollar bill. And it's a shame that, you know, that a redfish is a redfish, speckled trout, everything, especially a redfish is just worth so much more to this state than the way they, they actually treat it. Well, that's, that's, 
one reason we have you on tonight, and that's one reason the ASGA has reached out to you guys down there. Um, we want to try to do what we can and what we know here on the East Coast and what we've experienced with striped bass. Uh, also with redfish, what I see here with cobia, um, it, it's everywhere, man. And, um, you know, it's it's cool. I mean, with our Albi project and what we're seeing with science that we've done, um, and I know you can appreciate that with what you just said about your experience with um, you being in school and doing all that kind of stuff. I think it's, you know, that's kind of the important part of go, about our next step and what we're going to be talking about now is, you know, regulations and the fight that we're trying to kind of help you guys with and you know it's been years and years of battles of you know everything is all over the country is not as good as what it was you know there are there are some small success stories here and there but uh you know i've seen it you know as i've been coming down there for years and years and years uh the fishery is amazing and I, I want it to stay that way and that's partly why i joined asga i want my son to see what i've seen and i know you want the future to see the same thing uh you know we you know like the whole deal with the whole trout um regulations and the uh the whole cascading waterfall after all that you know once once these people you know people that's the one thing i want people to understand about you know what what I have learned in my short time with ASGA and, and trying to figure out what what my role is going to be in the future with with them and, and what I've seen just kind of setting back and learning is, is how this whole thing works with the policies and how these laws are written and and whatnot and seeing, you know, this side versus that side. And, you know, there's always uh, obviously an agenda on one side or the other on what 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 you know, whether it's a commercial guys or recreational, but, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the day, we all want what's best for the fish and the fisheries. Right. And I know, um, I know you guys were pushing to get regulations changed for the trout because when the trout aren't catchable size limits, right. What's going to be the next species that gets hit. Right. And so, you, you know, it's, it just starts that cascading waterfall. And um, that's the thing with that's the thing with trout we've seen, you know, I'd say 2000, probably 14, uh, really probably 2012, uh, right around that time frame. We kind of went into this weather shift of uh, from then to about 2019, 2020 was the most rainfall that we've seen in southeast Louisiana since they've been recording it, period. I mean, it's comparable a little bit to the late 80s, mid to late 80s. They had a lot of rainfall, but this was, you know, like we set records for rainfall, which as if anybody's ever been down here, the Mississippi River runs straight, you know, through us. So we had record rainfalls north of us, Arkansas, Missouri, um, you know, Jackson, Mississippi, all that area got it too. And I'm sure we had some snow melt too that rose the Mississippi River, but we had a the highest rivers and the longest that the river stayed high for that whole stretch, you know? So it kind of made our fishery as far as trout goes. Um, it is very dependent on the river. It's dependent on the fresh water. We still catch the trout in the fresher areas, but they need the salinity to spawn. So it's much more affected. Like the freshwater affects the speckled trout much more than it does redfish. Even um, they just don't tolerate it as well. So 
naturally all the fresh water we had and the you know the high rivers trout fishing became kind of tough and i mean some of the best speckled trout guides in this whole state that have never ever wanted to even throw and try catch a redfish were just became like strictly red fishing guides you know and and um it just they just shifted and saw that they were struggling to catch trout and they were like hey these redfish are pretty easy to catch on dead shrimp under a popping cork you know and i'll just get my guys to take you know limits of those homes so the redfish really got hit hard and we really saw a spike in people fishing for redfish in that time frame and had a lot of tournaments became very popular um obviously pressure from all angles too i mean i you know we as um fishermen ourselves fly fishermen and you know everything sight fishing redfish we put pressure on them too and we throw them back uh, luckily but um it's still pressure on the fish and the fishery so they've just kind of taken a beating from all angles you know from whether it's um more guys fishing for them more people on the water we saw a crazy amount of people on the water around covid you know it's all the only thing we had to do uh that and then you have things like you know the pogey boats that are fishing near where the redfish are spawning and killing a good bit of uh, this our spawning stock so they've probably they've been under the gun from way too many angles and i tell people i'm like it's amazing that we still have one of the best red fisheries in the world that after all the beatings that they've taken over the past decade it, that just goes to show you how good of a fishery it is that it's still you can come down and have great days but what i've really noticed it is the bad days you know the tough days the days where like you know i haven't been guiding that long probably close to like 10 years now 10 or 11 years and um which is nothing if you know in the span of time but I've definitely seen it when I started guiding that, you know, a cloudy day with a 10 to 15 mile an hour wind, which is pretty standard this time of year in the spring, that was nothing, you know, it was going to be tough to see them, but we're still going to, you know, see a bunch of fish and get some shots and catching 10 to 15 was no problem, you know, and now you get those tough days when you can't really see them and, and there's just not as many fish around and it makes the tough days tougher. We still have good days. The good days are still, you, I'll tell people all the time, you can only catch so many fish in a day, you know? I mean, you get, we've, we'll still have days we crush them and you could still have a 20 fish day, but it definitely makes the bad days worse, not having the fish that we did then. And the science has backed us up on that. You know, they finally did a redfish stock assessment and and it shows exactly what we've thought the past five years that, you know, we've had such a decline in the numbers of fish. And uh, they did one with speckled trout three years ago, as a matter of fact. And um, they made it, it, it happened right before COVID. Um, that first one, they kind of looked at it and they were kind of in shock. You know, everybody, all the Senate and everybody that makes decisions on it, and they were like, we don't believe this, you know, even though people have been telling them for a while, you got to do it again. So they did another one, and the numbers were worse on speckled trout, and they still didn't believe it. And so they did a third one, and the numbers got even worse, obviously. And they actually just voted against the change the other day, which Wildlife Fisheries is going to have to propose another um set of limit proposals so we'll see when that comes out at the next meeting but um it kind of makes you say you know are these guys in charge really looking into our best interests of the fishery and 
there was a point I've always told people I've kind of stayed pretty quiet about, you know, just being confrontational about a lot of things over the years. And I've always thought, you know, don't post anything unless it's positive. I just, just the motto I've taken with my business, but they kind of got to the point. Yeah. It kind of got to the point where, you know, probably four or five years ago where I was like, you know what, nobody else is doing anything about this. So I feel like, you know, I've been doing this long enough. I've been in this place long enough. I know it. I know people from all angles. I know that I have friends that are, you know, they're out there and they're popping corks with dead shrimp, killing 20 fish a day. And, you know, I have friends that have bow fished before. And I know guys that work in the pogey industry, you know, I'm born and raised down here. So I know all I'm, I've been connected to all these people, but it kind of got to the point where I was like, you know, nobody's going to take up for them. Then I, you know, who's, who's going to tell me something, you know, I was like, I'm from here. They, they can only tell me so many things. So I started just talking about it and, and I'd really say the past two years has just been amazing for, I would have never believed the support that I had behind saving and, you know, helping the redfish down here. I had kind of thought like people were, even some of my friends, I kind of thought they were going to be like, this guy's losing his mind. You know, he's, he's, he's hanging out with the, with the fly fishing crowd way too damn much, you know? And, um, it's been support from all angles. I have guys that, you know, or I know a lot of the guys, I'm great friends with a lot of the guys, the Bay boat guys down in Delacro. And, and it's kind of sad that it took tough fishing to put change a lot of their minds, but there was a lot of them last summer. It got real tough for them. The fish kind of, they just weren't, as um spread out as they normally are across the area they were kind of real confined in some shallow water areas and i think really just to stay away from the boat traffic and the people uh, i had some great days fly fishing them in that shallow water but a lot of those guys couldn't get to them and those guys were throwing live bait and coming back but you know one or no fish a couple of days and canceling trips because you know it wasn't like it lasted for months but those guys are used to going and fishing 250 days a year and catching a limit every single day when they're, you know, when they're canceling trips because they don't think the fishing's good, you kind of can't lie and say that nothing's happening anymore. You know, whether science tells you or not, you look at that and people start saying what the hell's happening. Yeah. I mean, dude, it's the same song I've, I've been preaching for years now. I mean, there, there, and you're right. I mean, there's a lot of contributing factors to all that stuff, like the the whole freshwater thing here in my home state here in Virginia. You know, I've been guiding 32, 33 years, um, and I, I, I've watched my smallmouth fishery slowly die for the past ten years. And a lot of it has to do with poor spawns due to high water during spawning, and our smallmouth mm-hmm. bass just can't keep up with with the changing environment when they're during when they're in spawn. So they spawn, the, the eggs get washed away, or they spawn successfully, and then the fry are out there left alone, and then we have a big flood, and the, and the fry get killed. So, I mean, there's a lot of those factors, but you're right. I mean, when if you, if you have a certain culture, like you talk about, where they go out, and it's all about the dock shots, and it's all about, like, how many fish you're going to put in the boat every day, and that's the only thing they think about. It's like, that's what's bringing me the trips, which in reality, and it's been proven, people are more about the experience and the fish and the fishery versus really oh, absolutely. at the end of the day, taking home a hundred fish, you know, between a couple people. And, uh, yeah, 
and I think that's where we're going to gain a lot of strength and a lot of momentum moving forward because I think it takes a little bit of time to change. There's there's in in the fly fishing culture. I mean, lefty and a lot of these, you know, people are resistant to change. That's just any any animal's nature. I mean, a lot of things don't want to. No, you know, it doesn't matter who you are or what you are. Everything's resistant to change, and it, it may be and not even if it's negative or positive. It's just part of human nature, animal reactions, whatever. But it's it's part of like you know. I've always said this too is like you and me as a guide and you know i've been in it for 33 years and you've been in it 10 or 12 years it doesn't matter you know we're the canaries in the coal mine right so yeah when we're starting to see these problems right and you know i i was like questioning myself just like you or in these other guys you're talking about that you know they're canceling trips because they think the fishing's just bad for now but it's it's actually it could be environmental recreational commercial all these different things are happening that's changing these environments which in reality it's it's a combination of stuff but there's only so many things that we as anglers and humans that can't control immediately and it's how oh no we doubt. react to these changes what that makes it the difference and that's all that we can do and that's why we're trying to do that right yeah i mean that's I mean, what I, I try to explain this to people and you know um people were so resistant you know, and about just change in general, like you said, and I always tell people, I'm like, man, I'm born and raised down here. I, when I was, I remember when I started driving and me and my buddy Sean were fishing every day out of a little flat boat, we were pissed off if we came back with 45 speckled trout, you know, we were like, damn, if only we had five more, that's just kind of the way everybody was raised down here. And it wasn't that we didn't enjoy the trip. It was that the measurement of success was based on how many fish do you bring back, you know? And uh, I always tell people, I'm like, we're just 30 years behind the times down here and we need to catch up fast before, before, you know, we really damage the fishery. And, and I tell people, I'm like, you know, I, I remember a day of sight fishing redfish and being like, damn, if I'd let this fish go, I could catch it another day. I'm like, and I really don't want to clean it. Like who wants to, you know, I'm fishing three, four days in a row. Like who wants to clean the fish? And I'm not telling, you know, I'd get the people going a few times a year. You want to keep some fish, put it in your freezer, but come on. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, it it really bothers me when the guy with the, you know, hundred thousand dollar F two fifty and $120,000 blackjack bay boat comes to me and he's like oh well you know i'm trying to put food on my table you can't take my limit away from me i'm like dude there's a if you're trying to feed your family i think there's a few things you need to change in your lifestyle because chicken's a whole lot cheaper than catching that speckled trout or redfish you know i mean (laughs) i you definitely i I don't like i don't want people to just not ever you know take one home again i think they're pretty good fish to eat I don't yeah. kill them. They don't kill redfish anymore, but I'm not going to knock people for it. I, but it's just, we, you got to change eventually, you know? And I tell people all the time, I'm like, uh, you, you, especially, you know, the people that are just all about the dock shots and all. I'm like, people are coming for the fishery. They're not coming for the shot of a bunch of dead fish laid out. It's, it's very egotistical 
and how that has become the, the thing. And I think social media has been kind of the reason for that too, and that people are still hanging on to it. And a lot of people really just, you know, get in, they're like, oh, it's all social media's fault. I'm like, well, social media is also the thing that changes and fixes a lot of things. I mean, I always use an example. Look at the guys for Capture Clean Water and what they've done over there. I'm like if that kind of things can happen and battle against the guys that have all the power and money and they're getting wins, then, you know, don't tell me, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not agreeing to a limit change, you know, because they need to snap their fingers and make the pogey boats go away. I'm like, well, this is the switch, you know, this is the knob we can turn right now. And why don't we turn any knob we can get our hands on right now? You know? Right. And what, and the limits, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but it's 25 fish a day for trout, 12 inches. Right. Yep. And, and red yep, fish, 25 is, speckled uh, trout and five redfish. Yep. Five redfish, and you can keep one. And you're allowed to, five. yep, allowed one over 27 inches, which I really would like to see that go away just because I just nothing bothers me more. I don't mind, like I said, I don't mind people going and catching some fish. You know, I want the guys that don't get to do it much and don't get to experience get the chance. But man, it really bothers me when you see like a 25 pounder just in somebody's ice chest. I'm like, for one, in my opinion, it's probably one of the worst tasting things I've ever eaten in my life. And two, yep. that people don't realize how old these fish are, man. I mean, they're not two years old. That fish could be 20, 25 years old. It could be 30 years yep. old, you know? Ty, I was oh, yeah. I was passing around an article. I think it was from the Tampa Bay Chronicle where they had uh, they had caught a redfish with a tag on it. Uh, I'll I'll send you the article uh, when, uh, when we're yeah, done I with this. Yeah, that one. Yeah, the, the guy when they recaptured the fish, they had to get the wildlife employee out of retirement, <laughs> and he had saved yep. all of his files. And the fish had essentially grown ten inches in twenty five years. Yes, yeah. they, they, they they tagged it at twenty eight. <laughs> they caught it at thirty eight or thirty six or something. And mm-hmm. it had been 25 years. And like you, what you have to start thinking about when a fish gets that old is like the legacy chemicals in it. Cause it's eating those menhaden that have, that are, that are filtering water constantly. And every menhaden it eats, it gets a tiny bit of mercuries and PP, PCBs and all those bad legacy chemicals that are in the water. And a smaller fish is a much better option. It's a much tastier fish. The fillet's a lot better. And, you know, just listening to you talk, all the guides out there, and I know Blaine does this on his boat, but you have all these teachable moments. And, like, there's people on on y'all's boats that make millions of dollars a year and are awful to their kids and their wife and everyone that they work with, and they're like tyrants. But they get on the front of your boat and you holler at them for blowing a cast and they're like, I'm sorry, I'll do better next time. (laughs) You know, y'all have y'all have like an authority over them. And there's so many teachable moments with that authority where you could say like, hey, you know what? There's a better size fish to eat and take home. And nobody's going to fault anyone for keeping a legal fish. But, you know along with social media being able i see it as like the great equalizer like it's a platform where you can go out and teach people um 
you know, on a, on a very broad scale that we never had before. So yeah, you look at like the success the captains has had unbelievable. I mean, they're, they're going up against two of the richest families in the country that nobody's been able to change for decades and they're making a difference and they they've done it through creative, you know, social media and, and, education, 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 and getting the community by their side. And you can do that on a real granular level. Every guide can on their boat with those kind of teachable moments, you know, like, I know you don't get to come here that often. I know you paid a lot for this day, but like, I want to, I want you to have the best experience you can next year and the year after that, when you come with me and it's a good idea to throw that fish back, you know, that fish is too big. It doesn't taste good. There's a better choice and they'll listen to you. All you have oh, to do yeah. is have the conversation. They will listen to you. They have a ton of respect. That's why they're paying you to take them for the for for their recreation. You know, they're looking forward to it for months before they step on y'all's boats. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I always tell like whenever I get a lot of those guys that kind of give me that backlash of like, oh well, you know, if they lower the limit, people aren't going to come anymore. I'm like, that is the biggest, just most wrong thing you could ever imagine, just because. Um, you know, your client, I always tell people, hey, your clients are kind of what you make them, you know, you kind of, you kind of pick through the guys you like, and you eventually assemble this group of guys that you like bringing and they like doing what you like doing. And it, it, there's no better day in the world for me as a guide than when I get some guy that comes with me a, a bunch and we both know the deal. And it's not only going to just be good for the attitude, but it's also great because like, he's going to catch the fish. I know he will, you know, he knows what to do, but yep. you know, and, and I tell those guys that think that way, that think the dock shot is the way to book the trip. I'm like, you're wrong. I'm like, people are coming for the experience. They're coming to fish with you. They called you for a reason, you know, and you can change that. And I tell people and people are starting to catch on with it now, which is super cool to see. And I tell them like, look, you got three bot three guys on the boat. Just try this. Like instead of keeping fifteen, keep fourteen. Just don't keep. You know, that's just one fish. And they're like, "Oh, what's that? You know, that's not going to do anything. It's not going to make a difference." I'm like, "Well, how many days do you fish?" And they're always, you know, like two fifty, three hundred, whatever crazy number they think they actually fish when they don't. And uh, I'm like, well, you know, I, I think you'd like an extra 200 fish on that day that really sucks. And it's 11 o'clock and you only caught like two all day, you know? And they're like, yeah. oh, it doesn't work like that. I'm like, well, it does. If you and 200 other guys also did the same thing. I'm like, it just may, may seem like one is just a small amount. But imagine if 400 guides in Delacroix, you know, all release one fish every single trip and you know kept one less fish i'm like it really makes such an incredible difference and we don't need science to tell us that you know um you put it in the box it's never going to be caught again that's just the simple truth of the matter and you put it back somebody else can can enjoy it and at the end of the day i really don't think there's anything animal you know whether it's on land or a fish in the water right now that brings in more money to the state of Louisiana than redfish. And I just don't think they are being treated as that at all. It's just that fish means so much to this state and brings in so much money. I just really, you know, it, it needs to be looked at it as that, not as a, Ty, you know, we were, we were running the numbers for the Gulf <clears throat> and, uh, 
we were looking at them last week or the week before, and there were 2 million, like 2.1 million red snapper trips. And how many people are hollering and screaming about red snapper? And there were 9.1 million trips for redfish. No, oh, it's unbelievable. So if you, I mean, if you want to talk about money and what it brings, and and nobody is flying from Wyoming to Louisiana to catch a red snapper. No, nope. they're all flying from Wyoming to or or South Dakota or wherever, or Michigan, or, or Virginia. Or Virginia, yeah. To uh, oh, yeah. I mean, to, I've had to people from redfish. all over the world. I've had people from you know Europe, from South America, from Australia, you know, that yep. want to come. And this is, and it took me a while to realize that this is like a bucket list kind of place. This is a you know a once in a lifetime experience for people that that you know. And I grew up in it, so I just you know was really naive to the fact of how incredible it really is. And people are spending a lot of money and, you know, crossing the earth to come do this. And, and it really makes you appreciate what we have here. And it really kind of pisses you off that it's not being appreciated by the people it needs to be appreciated by. And one of the best examples, like just to make it easy for everybody to understand the, the best example I've ever heard. This is a buddy of mine, Shane Mayfield, that's been guiding for well over 30 years down the road and Port Sulphur and fly fishes with us and all. And, and, uh, so if you think about it, like, let's say we go shine rabbits one night, like they could arrest us for that, you know, shining rabbits. But, you know, we have a lot of you know, the, this deal with bow fishing down here and you can go shoot a redfish with an arrow at night. I'm like, so that's pretty much the state of Louisiana telling me that they value a rabbit more than a redfish, you know, or a deer. And I mean, how many dollar bills does a rabbit bring into this state compared to a redfish? I can't imagine it's even 1%, you know? And that's just right. the value of what we treat this fish as really needs to change from a, you know, political level down to just the average weekend warrior going to fish. It's everybody. It's not just, you know, it's not just us. It's not just the guys bow fishing. It's not just the, the dock shot guys it's everybody needs a full-on mentality change down here yeah i couldn't agree more i mean and it's you know virginia's made some strides for some of the bow hunting stuff that you just mentioned i mean it's it so there are there are there's definitely hope in that and you know when you connect those dots it's pretty it's pretty <laughs> to me it's like it's like opening my eyes. You know what I mean? It's like, duh. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's like, man, but you know what? I mean, it's, that's just not the way, unfortunately that works. Right. But it's, it's part of our jobs as guides, anglers, and, um, uh, people like Tony that's fighting daily for, for us as recreational anglers to, to make sure that, uh, these policymakers understand it through the science. Right. And, and, you know, Oh yeah. That that one statement you just made right there is pretty pretty eye opening, right? I mean, it's like you can go do this, but you can go kill however many redfish. Even I mean, even gar. I mean, I mean, a, a fish oh, yeah. that's been around forever. Uh, a fish fin, that also know. lives very long too, right? I mean, I mean, it's a native fish. All these are native fish, and it's not mm -hmm. even. It's not like, and you talked about carp, which is invasive, right? Or Turned invasive you know it's 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 just yeah. a, it's 
it's, I don't know, the policies have got to change. I mean, and, 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 you know, there's so many things that connect us as anglers, but also as guides and things that you see and you stepping up to that plate and um, having your voice heard means a lot. And, you know, uh, you know, we at ASGA and I know Tony feels the same way that we have, we have an opportunity right here to try to kind of, not necessarily be proactive on what we're doing, but we can be, you know, um, I mean, Louisiana just has endless waters. I mean, it's, it's, it's always a special place for me to come, um, every year that I get to go down there. And thankfully I'm, I'm able to do that, but I, I've seen changes. I mean, not only, I mean, not, not only just the fish, but the fishery itself. It's like, you know, we talked about, I mean, the marsh is disappearing. I mean, there, there's all kinds of environmental problems. Um, and that's not necessarily just for, in Louisiana. It's all over the country. Uh, mm-hmm. But there are things that we can do now, regulation-wise, and, and uh, as anglers to try to educate our clients. You know, I mean, that's the biggest thing. It's like, you're right. Antonio was right. I mean, mo- and, and uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to have a retail fishing shop for over 15 years and people generally will look for you for information and buy what you and and he's right i mean i would have executives and whatnot people a whole lot smarter than me and and i always find it comical that they're gonna look up to me at times and it's like i'm i'm just this dipshit guy that's that (laughs) understands how to to get a fish to bite what i'm throwing at them you know what i mean and these guys are like you know curing cancer or whatever you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's really kind of oh, yeah. funny, but I mean, then that's why I've said we're, we're kind of the, we're, we are the canary in the coal mine kind of, I mean, mm-hmm. in, in a way, because if we go away because our fisheries have died um, and, and that's kind of how I've been with our smallmouth fisheries. That's, we still have smallmouth bass, but it's, in my opinion, it's less than 20% of what it used to be. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. And it's not just necessarily people overfishing. It's environmental changes. It's all, it's everything. But you got to look at it. It's like, what can we do and what can I do right now to try to make a difference? You know what I mean? And if you look yeah, at regulations sure. that suck, and, and, and you know, it, I'm not saying it's always about regulations and whatnot. I mean, there's all kinds of other things, but we do see it. We see it so much yeah. faster than biologists see it. We see it so much faster than politicians or the people that are making the laws and whatnot they're that they're ever going to see it because they're and they're too busy listening to people like us and other people telling them one thing or the other and and mm-hmm. for us and that's why we're here we we need we need to make a, a stand now and i i love that you guys are doing that and i love i love the fact that like you know the sheepy tournament i mean tony and i were talking earlier about uh and you talked about it and i know you know this but there's no there's no freaking regulations on sheep's head I mean, no. you can keep and as many sheep's head as you ever wanted to. Yeah. yeah. How, how long Those do you guys, think they're uh, going to last, Ty? I mean, a tw- exactly. 20 inch fish is 20 years old. Not exactly a good candidate uh, species to have no limit, no Absolutely size limit, no career not. limit. And they've, ar- they've already done the numbers on sheep head. Uh, I don't know if it was an official stock assessment, full on stock assessment, but they've done localized stock assessments just in Brenton Sound, which is like the outside of Venice, Hopedale, Delacro, and all that. And it's, you know, not, you know, what they thought of, obviously, because um, 
the red fishing obviously took a downturn made you know mostly the last like four four to five years so those guys that went from trout to redfish and then they struggle at redfish they're like oh we can go to the rigs you know this time of year right now like february march and early april and if redfish and stuff we'll just go catch 50 sheep's head and put them on the dock you know on live shrimp under a cork and and that's another thing that people are just you know it's it, it they sh- it in it should just take them for the sheer fact of they were like oh all we used to do is catch a bunch of you know giant speckled trout 20 years ago and then 10 years ago all we do is catch redfish every day and you know now we're smoking the sheephead and if that doesn't wake them up and say well i wonder why then i don't really know you know we some of those guys if they'll ever get it but i you know we're, we kind of got to be at the point where the people the open ears that want to listen we got to use them and gain more of them and just let the others fade away in the past and eventually make a change for the future, which is what we're seeing now. And I'm really happy, you know, that even guys like y'all are getting involved on it. Cause that's, that's what happens. You know, I could only be the squeaky wheel for so long, you know, and outside of this state, outside of Southeast Louisiana, people have probably never even heard my name before. What the hell is going on down here? But it takes, you know, guys like y'all and social media and organizations like SGA to help, you know, bring the policy in with the experience and make things happen like that. Because there's examples of it. You know, I tell people we've seen it. They just need a break. Like redfish just need a break. You know, they've just got all this pressure. I always use the example of the BP oil spill in 2010. They closed the fishery. I don't. I don't remember exactly how long it was closed. Six months. I just months. remember they. Yeah, it was, I, I, six it was months. Six months or so. They closed it. Could not kill anything. Oyster, shrimp, crab, redfish, speckled trout, anything. That was just six months. And I remember that following after that happened, after they closed the fishery, and even before they opened it back up, that was some of the best fishing for everything, speckled trout, redfish, everything that I've ever seen in my entire life. And Ty, if you had were- if you had lived here <clears throat> when the stripers came out of the moratorium in 1995 i tell like you met will poston the young guy who who's our policy assistant you know he's Uh, in his early he's in his mid-20s and we'll tell him what the striper fishing was like and he doesn't believe us he doesn't they don't they have no frame of reference coming out of the moratorium it's from like 1995 to about 2006 it was nothing to go out and see like you know blaine i know you fished virginia beach in the winter you know cape charles the baybridge tunnel you, nope, you would nope. see you would see five thousand gannets and it they look like a tornado when they were coming up off the water i mean it looked like it looked like something you'd see in the galapagos on the nature channel and there'd be like oh, wow. hundreds of boats and everyone would be hooked up with a 40 plus pound striper and i Damn. mean just uh, it, like you go to the Susquehanna flats, you catch a hundred fish, you know, 10 of them would, 10 of them would be over 40 pounds. And, yep. and, uh, and, and you just, you know, you get used to it and then you kind of look back and I'm like, man, it's been a while since I caught a 40 pound striper. It's been, it's been a couple of years. Um, there's just not that many left. 
Uh, yeah. You have to go to very specific locations at very specific times and kind of everyone knows the spots and it's just kind of like a, it's almost like going to a carnival ride. Like, oh, we'll go fish a <laughs> power plant in the winter or we'll go, you know, we'll go here at this time of year. And it's just not the way it was. Uh, and I don't, you know, I hope it'll get back to the way it was, but you don't want to be 51 years old doing your own podcast and telling a, a younger man, you know, oh man, we used to catch this many redfish and I hadn't seen a redfish oh, that no big doubt. in in this many years. I mean, I, that's the lesson that I'm I trying to tell all y'all down in Louisiana is like, you don't want to end up like us. No, I mean, and I, I tell people, I'm like, I, I always, I always tell people, I'm like, you know, I'm sick of the good old days stories and I, and I'm 28 now. And it's kind of sad that I have some good old days stories, you know, um, you know, uncomparative to what a guy that's probably 60 that's seen down here, but still there's some, there's some stories I, I can think of that would make people that just started fishing for him a couple of years ago say, Holy crap, that's incredible. But there, there is no doubt that it can be, you know, what it was 10 years ago in 10 years, they just need a break. And there's examples out there, like I said, with BP and, and it's so funny to me. And, and I used to think the same thing is we'd have a hurricane and people are always like, man, the fishing was always so good after a hurricane. And they just think that a hurricane comes and dumps a bunch of fish in the marsh or something like they're all out in, the, in a hole in the Gulf. And I used to think the same thing and still started doing the research on it and just thinking about it more. Um, I mean, the hurricanes are terrible for here. They flip the bottom over. They make the water dirty for weeks on end. But what it does is it gets people off the water. It gets it. Maybe it might only be seven days, but seven days of no redfish being killed. It's you're damn right. It's going to be awesome after that. Ty, when they sent the um, a lot of the research vessels that go out and do like the trawl surveys in the Gulf, um, it's one of the universities has a few research vessels in Dauphin, Alabama, mm -hmm. and everyone was real worried um, after the the oil spill in the Gulf. And they sent those research boats out and they got the highest yields of juvenile fish and shrimp that they had ever recorded mm -hmm. after those six months of, you know, you got to stay off the water, no fishing. I'm not saying that's the way to go, but what I, what I am saying is this is, you know, if you can control the harvest, it's real hard to control effort. And I'd be the last one to yeah. say, you know, you, you can't, I hate controlling effort because that limits, I think people have to be on the water to fall in love with it. And I'd, no I'd love every, I'd love everyone to fall in love with the water because my hope is that then they would want to protect it. You know, that's kind of the natural evolution. Yeah. So I'd, I'd hate to, I'd hate, you know, I'd, I'd hate to, for, um, for fishing to frankly turn into duck hunting because duck hunting by me is a very rich guy's sport. There's not a lot of, y'all yeah. are blessed with public land. Man, there's not a lot of public land here. And you got to have some coin to to own enough property, you know, to get ducks on that property. And, you know, when I was a kid, we would just go out and hunt public land. And it was nothing. 
You know, I mean, it was just, that's just the way it was. And there was a lot of ducks. Yeah. And I think all the kids who don't get that opportunity now. So I hate the thought of control and effort, but I love the thought of that other lever that you were talking about. And it's like, look, you know, do you have to take that much home? I understand. Like, I don't want to take a cultural thing, like a fish fry away. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to stop people going because, you know, they can't bring fish home for their family. But like, you know, when you have, you, we mentioned social media before you have this meteoric rise in electronics. And I know that maybe not like the biggest impact for y'all, you know, fishing in 12 inches of water. When we were fishing, I think Bailey had his, he never even turned his, his uh, sonar on. He just had his GPS on, you know, but where we fish mm -hmm. in the Chesapeake, sonar's always on, you know, and we're, cause we're, we're fishing a little bit different. And I mean, yeah. you don't even have to be, you don't even have to be good to find fish now, man. You don't, you don't have to have any <laughs> skill. You didn't have to grow up doing, we all have the same story. Like we grew up, like first memory came pole in hand, farm mm. pond, canal, whatever. These guys are picking up, you know, going fishing in their thirties and forties. They're learning how to do it. They have a ton of disposable income. They're buying the latest and greatest electronics. They get a little bit of network on the water and, and they don't have to do their homework. It's just boom. There it is. Oh, yeah. So like, you know, the whole dynamic of the fishing community is changing a lot. And, um, and, you know, I, I would just hope that people would be so more selective in their harvest and realize this, it's not an endless cornucopia and things have changed. I mean, the boats are better. The motors are more reliable. The electronics are off the charts. I mean, you talk about crappie fishing. Turn that live oh, yeah. scope on, man. You can you just watch him eat the jig when you drop it down. I mean, is that you know what I like? It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy the capabilities. Um, so you know, there's there's so many different pressure points, and there's so few things that we can do to kind of alter the course. Um, and you know, one one of them is killing less fish, man. I mean, you know, that's. The, the one y'all have a couple of different like things going for you with redfish. The first thing is, is they're tough. I mean, tough, like just a tough animal. I, I've seen, yeah. I've seen redfish without a tail swimming around. Oh, yeah. It's just scarred over, you know, they're, they're brutes. Um, stripers are a little bit more delicate. You know, you gotta be a little more careful with them than you do a redfish. And, and the other thing is, you know, Man, they grow so fast up to three, four years old. And mm -hmm. at, you, they hit that spawning age. If stripers, man, eight years. Eight oh, years. Wow. They have to make it before 100% of them are ready to spawn. Um, you know, redfish, bam, you're 28 <laughs> inches, three years old. You're out to the coast. You're joining that, you're joining that breeding <clears throat> stock, oh, and yeah. you made it. Um, they can recover. They can do it. I mean, I, I actually, I have a lot of hope for y'all. Um, y'all, y'all can turn the tide, you know, you can win this. And that's like, that's a message that I'd like the pod, the listeners to this podcast to understand is, you know, this, if we, and, and Ty, hear me on this, cause I want your opinion. If this fight was just contained to Louisiana, I don't know if there'd be much of a chance. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. That's, that's kind of what, and I've had that conversation with you and, Man, it's it's the people here 
that are the hardest to turn, you know, I can, I, I can call one of my clients from, you know, Montana right now and explain to him everything that we've talked about. And he's like, why didn't they make that change 10 years ago? You know? And it's just people we've been so spoiled down here with such an incredible fishery that it's, it's almost like something that's alien to people to think about. I mean, I remember fishing when I was, you know, seven, eight years old, my uncle and, and my cousin. And, and, uh, like I even, like I said before, when I was, you know, first fishing in a little flat boat by myself, when I was driving and all, it was just a kill mentality. You know, it was fill the box. And I remember my uncle telling me stories about, you know, when he was my age fishing in Hopedale and all, and calling my aunt on his way home at a payphone at a gas station somewhere and him saying, you know, Oh, we, we caught this many boxes today. You know, it was measured in how many boxes you caught. And that's just the mentality, but I just want people to realize that it doesn't take much to change that, you know, and, and getting people here to change is definitely the hardest. I get so many stubborn people that are like, you know, they all, and they love to use, you just don't know what you're doing. You know, when you're talking about the fishing, not being as good when they know it, they just don't want to admit it because well, I think Todd, because this is a, because where you live is so special. It is a national issue because oh, I mean, no where, where would Louisiana be? Where would these isolated little towns, right? That you're, that you're, all that you're referring to port sulfur cocodri uh you know venice delacra where where are those towns gonna be without redfish oh they're nothing you know, without redfish there's, there's little towns no doubt about it believe it or not if you go to like um the cape maids the cape may side of new jersey it's not developed like New Jersey up by New York. You know, everyone kind of thinks mm -hmm. New Jersey's all the same. And some of the towns, one of the towns around there was called Fortescue. And Fortescue was known mm -hmm. as the weak fish capital of the world. Very, very similar species to speckled trout. All, the the yeah. world's records are like ounces apart. Incredibly similar fish. Mm -hmm. Well, there aren't any weak fish anymore. And you drive through that town now and you see like tumbleweeds going through it. The town dried up. It doesn't, that was the yeah. only reason it was the weak fish capital of the world. And the only reason why people came there was to go catch huge weak fish. Um, I was no doubt about it. They're gone and the town is gone. So yeah, I mean, what are, what you are, drive down the road and you see these, you know, great, you know, I mean, we call them camps, but there's a lot of places, you know, down the road that are just in, these incredibly gigantic houses and camps down there that they're lodges and all, all up and down the road and they're up on stilts and, but they're beautiful places and they have history and, um, there's just a lot of cool stuff down the road. And yeah, we have like crabbers and commercial fishing as far as like crabbing goes, shrimping and all, and they're still around, but they're not staying, you know, they're not booking a lodge for a guy to fly in from New York to go crabbing. They're not booking a lodge for a guy to fly in from, you know, Montana to go shrimping. Uh, you yeah, take and Ty, my, my, my point bringing that up is like, 
I know it's hard to it's hard to imagine this, but it's like those guys, that group of guys at the Sheepy, y'all are an economic engine for the state of Louisiana. And for whatever reason that we don't have to get into right now, either the state doesn't want to recognize that, doesn't recognize it, or thinks that they can just kind of get away with, you know, treating treating the resource however they want. But y'all have a lot of power. Like you're doing an enormous service to the restaurants, the hotels, you know, the, the, frankly, LDWF. You know, all those license sales that goes to fund the science and, you know, you're not stomping in there and hollering and screaming and saying, you know, my way or the highway. But, uh, but I think y'all's message of like, you know, follow the science and, and we need to, we need to turn this ship around and and do it quick uh, for, for these reasons. It's not just your jobs. There's a, there's a whole web of economy that's connected to y'all, you know, it's, little gas stations and and all the fantastic restaurants that y'all have and frankly a ton of the seafood that stays local the crawfish the shrimp you know tourists are eating them tourists that are oh, coming yeah. to fish y- y'all y- y- y'all are provide an enormous service to the state enormous service yeah, that goes unrecognized i get people and you know some people are like oh you know why why are you trying to you know a good example that I use is we had a Senate meeting last year, um, I think in May, and it was to it was a decision on pushing the pogey boats a mile off the beach, which then got bumped back to a half mile, and they voted at that meeting. I was one of the only guides in the entire state of Louisiana there. And, you know, I said my piece and it got voted down, of course. And uh they're just continued to do what they do. But I get a lot of people and I'm like, you know, I talk to them like, why weren't you there? Why didn't you come? And people are like, Oh, you know, we, we can't do anything about that. I'm like, we are the majority. Like people need to start realizing that is that we're the majority, not just guides, you know, the recreational fishermen that are fishing for redfish that are posting it on Instagram, you know, and then somebody from Georgia sees it and they're like, man, I'm going to go book, Delacro, you know, Sweetwater Lodge or something and and bring my own boat and go fish down there and put gas in and eat at, you know, um Rocky and Carlos or Charlie's or something down the road. And and you know, it's that's what I try to tell people. I'm like, it's not just us guides that should be trying to do something about it. You know, it's the recreational fishermen. It's we're the majority. There's way more of us than there are of the pogey boat guys, than there are, you know, of the um, the politicians in general of the guys that make the decisions like we are the majority we have a way bigger voice and people need to realize that there is a lot we can do and there's honestly there they should be the ones you know the guys making the decisions that are just overlooking us they should be the ones with their backs to the wall you know we should have the say so and because we're out there every day in it um and we're using the resource more than them and we're paying for it. We're buying licenses. We're, you know, providing a service for everybody down there. Just like you said, the gas stations, everything, the marinas, how many boat launches that keep the marinas open, you know, selling live bait to the guys that use live bait. I mean, it's not, I don't want, I don't like to talk bad about the guys up at the Capitol, but they're not coming down to Sweetwater Marina 
and you know buying a bunch of live shrimp and ice and stuff from them and going fishing you know and that's just the simple truth of the matter well the one the one thing that i'll you know one thing i'll say is that y'all have that one of the big differences that i saw because i know you know i mean i'm the I work for the guides association. I think I have a pretty good bearing on this. Um, the average age of the guides in Louisiana is pretty damn young. You know, you know, oh, y'all, yeah. y'all are, y'all are well-educated. Um, and I think I, I didn't meet a one that wasn't like deeply concerned and kind of ready to fight for the resource. So I think that brings a lot of hope to the table. And, you know, Ty, we've talked about this offline. It's, it's just, it's, it's educating people with the facts, getting that unified voice coming to the table as one and expecting better from your elected officials and managers and it's process. But the other thing that we have on our side is what? That's the first stock assessment on redfish that came out in, what, 40 years, 30 years? Oh, yeah, right? no doubt about it. So, and it's, so, you know, it's proved what we've been saying. And, um, I mean, at, at this point, it's just, you know, get organized and start making a decision on what we want to push. And, you know, I, I tell people, I'm like, it's great that you think that, but, you know, speak up about it. Don't be afraid to speak up about it because every voice that they hear is only solidifying the fact that we can do something about it. And if there's that big of an uproar saying all the same thing, they can't sit there and, you know, turn away from that. You know, they can, they get, they do it on stripers all the time, but if you (laughs) just keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it, eventually you win, but trust me, they will, you know, that, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll make whatever excuse and do whatever they want until they start to get worried. You know? Yeah. I just got to, you know, my hope is like what you said for redfish. My hope for redfish is that, man, I don't know what's keeping them from and we haven't got really into changing the stuff for redfish quite yet it's mainly trout that's kind of had me discouraged because of how anti-change they've been against the trout but i know that they see the numbers too they have to know what kind of money that redfish is bringing in and i just said you know it, it gets to the point where if they say no to redfish you know fixing the redfish limits then what's your reason at this point how are you making well, Tyler, money? The other thing is, you know, now? speckled trout are like the saltwater sacolay, right? Like mm-hmm. they're the meat fish. You know, that's the that's the fish fi fish. People, redfish aren't quite viewed like that. You know, it's not. Yeah. There's a different. There's a little bit of a nuance between redfish and speckled trout. So that you got a chance on that too, right? Um, it, it's not speckled trout's going to be a heavy lift, and and it's going to be a problem until they recover with the added pressure on the other species. But it's redfish are viewed very much different um, mm-hmm. by almost everyone, and and I think that's a that's another thing that you got going for you with redfish. It's not it, it's not a fish fry fish. 
It's just not. Oh yeah. You're not going to feed a hundred people with a red, with, with red. Absolutely. You're going to feed a hundred people with speckled trout. So, mm. you know, well, I'll tell you what, man, Blaine, what do you think? Was this a good one? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I knew it would be. <laughs> I, I appreciate, you know, you spending your time with us. I know we're here all to here for the same reason. And, um, you know, I, when I first met you and talked to you a couple of years ago and we were, you were doing some of those trips with, uh, some of my like Shane, for example, I, I knew you yeah. were, I knew you were one of us and definitely, uh, I, I was really happy to hear that Shane really enjoyed it. I hope we get to fish together sometime soon. You know, um, for sure. I want to, once this is over, I want to talk to you about maybe setting up some, some Jack trips with you. You tell me when you oh, feel yeah. like it's a good <laughs> chance for us to kind of do some of that technical uh, jack fishing. I'm in. I'll bring some guys. I know. I know a few oh, guys yeah. up here die to do that. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things, man. And it's uh, Blaine likes the Blaine likes so the cool. junkyard dogfish. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah. The the bowfin, the the gar, the jack, the, un- the underappreciated. Um, you know, it's I do too. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll catch those so, damn things all day long. We call a uh, bowfin down here. We call them shoe pick. Shoe and, pick. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. We have French names for everything. And it's so funny. Shoe pick's another fish that like when you're bass fishing or sockeye fishing, it bites and people are pissed off about it. But they are, in my opinion, so freaking cool. And there's a few areas that I've started like catching them, you know, where I could throw popper flies and all and I, I, it's it's kind of hard to figure out where you can just catch them and not, you know, everything else. But, uh, man, that's another fish that, like, <laughs> it just goes to show you there's so many cool things to do down here. And I don't know, maybe one Blaine, day I'll Blaine named his dog Bofin. Just yeah. out of, just in case you were wondering, <laughs> Blaine named his puppy Bofin. He should well, Blaine, you got to change his name to Shoepick. <laughs> if i ever figure out how to target those things we're we'll be uh we'll be doing it for sure because those damn things are so cool i've called them well like, we've got you know, we've got some areas up here man you should come up and hang out i could take you where we can i could pull you around sight fishing both in that's just so like cool. red yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's blaine, so blaine cool. figured out how to catch paddlefish on the fly man yeah oh, wow that's wild <laughs> <laughs> yeah Yep. So it's fun. Well, yeah. You know, um, I, I, I gotta, fi- I gotta figure Ty that me and Blaine and, and some other, some other folks from the ASGA team will be coming down to Louisiana a little bit more frequently. Um, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad that we have, uh, we have found such an awesome group of guides, um, you know, who were willing to, willing to take up the fight and we're going to lean into it. And this is just the beginning. Um, you know, we're not going to let go until things get better. So uh, I think you know that we're we're in it for the long haul, and I'm I'm very hopeful that it's going to turn out for the best for the resource and for all the guides down there and all the mom and pop restaurants and gas stations and redfish are going to come roaring back, and um, and and Louisiana will be you know what it was six or seven years ago again and um and and hopefully 20 years from now when i'm so old i need a walker uh we won't run into <laughs> these problems again and um and you know people people kind of treat the resource right 
uh, and kind of learn their lessons. So, you know, we're in it. We're all in, man. We're here with you. We're here to support you. Appreciate you being on the podcast. Look forward to having you on here again and, and look forward to getting back to your awesome state as soon as we can. Man, I appreciate everything. I appreciate this and, you know, everything that y'all uh, brought down here as far as like, like I said, just kind of getting the word out about it. And I think it's super cool that y'all are wanting to jump in this and is you know, it, it's, I guess, uh, y'all have been through the fire plenty of times with stripers and it just makes you want to look for another fire to jump in a little bit, but hopefully this one well, isn't as bad of a incineration as stripers. <laughs> they're all, it's all, you know, man, it's just, uh, you know, Blaine's heard me say it a hundred thousand times. It's all the same issues. The fish just look a little different. It's yeah. all, it's, it's all the it. same stuff. They just look, a little bit different so listen thanks everyone for listening uh we got a ton of podcasts coming out we have we have interviews from all the guides that we did down at the sheepy uh we have we have a uh, just just a ton of great stuff coming out about albies so listen stay tuned we appreciate every single one of you listen to us rattle on and we will see you on the next episode